Welcome back, Hemming Brainiacs, to the Hemming Brainiac podcast. We're talking about chapter 43 of of Human Bondage. You've got to admire Miss Price's thick skin, but will she be an artist? Those are the discussion prompts that I left for you. I'm a bit sleepy. You can probably tell in my voice. And I just watched a very depressing film. So um, my 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 tone is rather bleh-ish. Swims to the mum fishy said this though. She said, M was an avid art collector. During his long life, he created a collection of art which was known and respected the world over. Prior to selling them off later in his life, for a variety of reasons, he published the collection in Purely for My Pleasure, a slim volume of picture plates with a short accompanying story of the collection's history. Link below allows one to view these plates. Oh, cool. Uh, M's art collection was a very personal one, and the story of its development, as detailed in the book, is full of anecdotes. I made the acquaintance of Matisse. He was bedridden. I bought two of his paintings. His Gordwin was from the South Seas island of Tahiti. Gorguin had done a painting on the door of a hut. M, visiting the island while researching his book, The Moon and Sixpence, paid the current resident 200 francs for it, unscrewed the door, and carried it back to his car. He mentions that Renoir had lived not far from him on the Riviera. I'm looking at this link. Ah, there he is. A a portrait of him. Ah, there's no paint. Oh, wait, there is paintings. Anyway, he had a bunch of paintings. Cool. Uh, Acoustic Eels said, Miss Price told him a long, involved story. Thank you, Somerset, for sparing us that story, or maybe we should thank his editor. I have thoughts about the art student saying she would kill herself before she gave up art. As a professional musician, I totally understand that. If you know that art is what you want to do, then there's nothing that will stop you. The extreme case is Florence Foster Jenkins, a subject of a hilarious 2016 biopic starring Meryl Streep. She was a terrible singer in the early 20th century. Uh, We have actual recordings from her back then. Should we listen to them? Yeah, let's do it. Notice she misses her very first entrance and the pianist goes back to play her in. It's 100% real and not made up. beautiful uh it's 100 real and not made up so you reckon that's what miss price is like uh she actually sang like this and she was rich enough that her man man slash manager could afford to bribe the audiences and critics to give her glowing reviews she sang carnegie hall in 1944 and she sang it just like the link above the poor quality of her singing became something of a spectacle and she gained fame or at least notoriety for it, and in that way was something of a success. On a more serious note, Fanny and Florence both embody a common idea. Even on days when you feel like you're crap and your art is worthless, the only thing to do is to keep going. You may be receiving these messages from a critic, a professor, or from yourself, but it, if everyone quit, 
when someone told them they were no good, we wouldn't have any artists or musicians. If you keep trying and keep trying, and you still can't seem to get the slightest bit better, then it might be time for a lateral move to a different form of art. Maybe Fanny is a lousy drawer, but it turns out she's a gifted sculptor or poet or architect. If you have the spirit of an artist, it will find its way to express itself somehow. I don't know who needed to hear that today, but that's my artist's affirmation. Well, that's a nice affirmation. Acoustic Eels, thank you for that. Uh, feel free to share some of that music that you play. We'd love to hear it. Pony Salvage 22 said, Another abusive teacher near Philip. I don't see the point of diminishing someone other than to feel power. Foynette reminds me of that other teacher who would call him Blockhead. Even though price might not seem likable i feel that she is not even aware of it completely and she is way too lost and hopefully on her own to work on her own work to realize how lonely she is she mentioned she'd rather kill herself than give up art um what was i gonna say i don't know something i am norwegian said this so <clears throat> Sometimes, great actors, authors, and artists do have stories of everyone turning them down or deriding their work until <clears throat> they suddenly explode and are seen as great <clears throat> masters of their craft. Success has a tendency to make us view the painting, acting, or whatever as good. Even if it's bad, people will rationalize their way to find something of quality in it. But still, those cases are few and far between, so my assumption is that she will not live off her art um yeah well you know it's always a long shot isn't it and trepper said will she be an artist well she's been studying for two years and no one seems to think she has talent judging by philip's opinion of her drawing she's not even competent so no i don't think so that's a kind of heart that's kind of heartbreaking breaking because she's so dedicated it almost doesn't seem fair uh, thank you, Andrew, for allowing me to post about my book. Yeah, um, I saw a little bit about your book there. It's Miserable Byron and the Christmas Dollar, and I clicked on the link, and I looked at it on Amazon, and I saw that some reviews said, I absolutely loved this book. It was a touching Christmas story, and someone else said, it's a charming book about an ungrateful ruffian who gets the unique opportunity to experience what it's like to live in poverty, bit of a Christmas uh, carol kind of thing. Um, very cool. Very cool. Listeners, you should go and check out Entrepper's Christmas picture book if you've got little children and want to read them a Christmas story. Alright, uh, let's read the next chapter of this book, which goes like this. It's called Chapter XLIV, which is 44, and it goes, but... Notwithstanding, when Miss Price on the following Sunday offered to take him to the Louvre, Philip accepted. She showed him Mona Lisa. He looked at it with a slight feeling of disappointment, but he had read till he knew by heart the jewelled words with which Walter Pater has added beauty to the most famous picture in the world, and these now he repeated to Miss Price. That's all literature, she said a little contemptuously. You must get away from that. 
She showed him the Rembrandts and she said many appropriate things about them. She stood in front of disciples of Emmaus. When you feel the beauty of that, she said, you'll know something about painting. She showed him the Odalisque and La Source of Ingress. Fanny Price was a preemptory guide. She would not let him look at the things he wished and attempted to force him his admiration for all she admired. She was desperately in earnest with her study of art and when Philip, passing in the long gallery a window that looked out on the Tuileries, gay, sunny and urbane, like a picture of Raffaelli, exclaimed, I say, how jolly. Do let's stop here a minute. She said indifferently, yes, it's all right, but we've come here to look at pictures. The autumn air, blithe and vivacious, elated Philip and... When towards midday they stood in the great courtyard of the Louvre, he felt inclined to cry like Flanagan to hell with art. I say, do let's go out of the, to one of those restaurants in Ball Mich and have a snack together, shall we? He suggested. Miss Price gave him a suspicious look. I've got my lunch waiting for me at home, she answered. That doesn't matter, you can eat it tomorrow. Do let me stand you a lunch. I don't know why you want to. It would give me pleasure, he replied, smiling. They crossed the river and at the corner of the boulevard St. Michel there was a restaurant. Let's go in there. No, I won't go there. It looks too expensive. She walked on firmly and Phillips was obliged to follow. A few steps brought them to a smaller restaurant where a dozen people were already lunching on the pavement under an awning. On the window was announced in large white letters, De Juena 1.25 Vim Compris. We couldn't have anything cheaper than this and it looks quite all right they sat down at a vacant table and waited for the omelette which was the the first article on the bill of fare philip gazed with delight upon the passers-by his heart went out to them he was tired but very happy i say look at that man in the blouse isn't he ripping he glanced at miss price and to his astonishment saw that she was looking down at her plate regardless of the passing spectacle, and two heavy tears were rolling down her cheeks. "'What on earth is the matter?' he exclaimed. "'If you say anything to me, I shall get up and go at once,' she answered. He was entirely puzzled, but fortunately at that moment the omelette came. He divided it in two, and they began to eat. Philip did his best to talk in, of indifferent things, and it seemed as though Miss Price were making an effort on her side to be agreeable, but the luncheon was not altogether a success. Philip was squeamish, and the way in which Miss Price ate took his appetite away. She ate noisily, greedily, a little like a wild beast in a menagerie. And after she had finished, each course rubbed the plate with pieces of bread till it was white and shining, as if she did not wish to lose a single drop of gravy. They had camembert cheese, and it disgusted Philip to see that she ate rind and all of the portion that was given her. She could not have eaten more ravenously if she were starving. Miss Price was unaccountable, and having parted from her on one day with friendliness, he could never tell whether on the next she would not be sulky and uncivil, but he learned a good deal from her, though she could not draw well herself. She knew all that could be taught, and her constant suggestions helped him his progress. Mrs. Otter was useful to him too. And sometimes Miss Chalice criticised his work. He learned from the glib loquacity of Lawson and from the example of Clutton. 
But Fanny Price hated him to take suggestions from anyone but herself, and when he asked her her, her help after someone else had been talking to him, she would refuse with brutal rudeness. The other fellows, Lawson, Clatton, Flanagan, chafed him about her. You be careful, my lad, they said. She's in love with you. Oh, what nonsense, he laughed. The thought of Miss Price, that Miss Price could be in love with anyone was preposterous. It made him shudder with, when he thought of her uncomeliness, the bedraggled hair and the dirty hands, the brown dress she always wore, stained and ragged at the hem. He supposed she was hard up. They were all hard up. But she might at least be clean, and it was surely possible with a needle and a thread to make her skirt tidy. Philip began to sort his impressions of the people he was thrown in contact with, but he was not so ingenuous as in those days which now seemed so long ago at Heidelberg, and beginning to take a more deliberate interest in humanity he was inclined to examine and to criticise. He found it difficult to know Clutton any better after seeing him every day for three months, than on the first day of their acquaintance. The general impression at the studio was that he was able, it was supposed, that he would do great things, and he shared the general opinion, but what exactly he was going to do, neither he nor anybody else quite knew. He had worked at several studios before Amatrano's, at Julien's, at Beau Arts, at Macpherson's, and was remaining longer at Amatrano's than anywhere else because... He found himself more left alone. He was not fond of showing his work, and unlike most of the young men who were studying art, neither sought nor gave advice. It was said that the little studio in the Rue Campagne Premier, which served him for workroom and bedroom, he had wonderful pictures which would make his reputation if only he could be induced to exhibit them. He could not afford a model, but painted still life, and Lawson constantly talked of a plate of apples which he declared was a masterpiece. He was fastidious, and aiming at something he did not quite fully grasp, was constantly dissatisfied with his work as a whole. Perhaps a part would please him, the forearm or the leg and foot of a figure, a glass or a cup in a still life, and he would cut this out and keep it destroying the rest of the canvas so that when people invited themselves to see his work, he could truthfully answer that he had not a single picture to show. In Brittany, he had come across a painter whom nobody else had heard of, a queer fellow who had been a stockbroker and taken up painting at middle age, and he was greatly influenced by his work. He was turning his back on the Impressionists and working out for himself painfully and individual, an individual way not only of painting but of seeing Philip felt in him something strangely original. At Gravier's where they ate, and in the evening at the Verasales or at the Closerie de Lille's Clutton was inclined to taciturnity, he sat quietly with a sardonic expression on his gaunt face and spoke only when the opportunity occurred to him in a witticism. He liked a butt and was most cheerful when someone was there on whom he could exercise his sarcasm. He seldom took talked of anything but painting and then only with the one or two persons whom he thought worth while. Philip wondered whether there was in him really anything. His reticence, the haggard look of him, the pungent humour seemed to suggest personality but might be no more than an effective mask which covered nothing. With Lawson on the other hand, Philip soon grew intimate. He had a variety of interests which made him an agreeable companion 
He read more than most of the students, and though his income was small, loved to buy books. He lent them willingly, and Philip became acquainted with Flaubert and Balzac, and Verlaine, Heredia, and Villiers de Isil Adam. They went to plays together and sometimes to the Gallery of the Opera Comique. There was the Odeon quite near them, and Philip soon shared his friend's passion for the tragedians of Louis XIV and the sonorous Alexandrine. In the Rue Thébault were the Concerts Rouge, where for 75 centimes they could hear excellent music and get into the bargain something which it was quite possible to drink. The seats were uncomfortable, the place was crowded, the air thick with corporal horrible to breathe. But in their young enthusiasm they were indifferent. Sometimes they went to the ball Boulier. On these occasions Flanagan accompanied him. His excitability and his roisterous enthusiasm made them laugh. He was an excellent dancer, and before they had been ten minutes in the room, he was prancing around with some little shop girl whose acquaintance he had just made. The desire of all of them was to have a mistress. It was part of the paraphernalia of the art student in Paris. It gave consideration in the eye of one's fellows. It was something to boast about, but the difficulty was that they had scarcely enough money to keep themselves, and though they agreed, though they argued that French women were so clever, it cost no more to keep two of than one. They found it difficult to meet young women who were willing to take that view of their circumstances. They had to content themselves for the most part with envying and abusing the ladies who received protection from painters of more settled respectability than their own. It was extraordinary how difficult these things were in Paris. Lawson would become acquainted with some young thing and make an appointment for 24 hours he would be all in a flutter and describe the charmer at length to everyone he met but she never by any chance turned up at the time fixed he would come to Gravier's very late ill-tempered and exclaim confound it another rabbit i don't know why it is they don't like me i suppose it's because i don't speak french well or my red hair it's too sickening to have spent over a year in paris without getting hold of anyone you don't go the right way to work, said Flanagan. He had a long and envi- enviable list of triumphs to narrate, and though they took leave not to believe all he said, evidence forced them to acknowledge that he did not altogether lie, but he sought no permanent arrangement. He only had two years in Paris. He had persuaded his people to let him come and study art instead of going to college, but at the end of that period he was to return to Seattle and go into his father's business. He had made up his mind to get as much fun as possible into the time and demanded variety rather than duration in his love affairs. I don't know how you get hold of them, said Lawson furiously. There's no difficulty about that, Sonny, answered Flanagan. You just go right in. The difficulty is to get rid of them. That's where you want tact. Philip was too much occupied with his work, the books he was reading, the plays he saw, the conversation he listened to, to trouble himself with a desire for female society. He thought there would be plenty of time for that when he could speak French more glibly. It was more than a year now since he had seen Miss Wilkinson, and during his first weeks in Paris he had been too busy to answer a letter she had written to him just before he left Blackstable. When another came, knowing it would be full of reproaches and not being just then in the mood for them, he put it aside, intending to open it later, but he forgot and did not run across it till a month afterwards when he was turning out a drawer to find some socks that had no holes in them. He looked at the unopened letter with dismay. He was afraid that Miss Wilkinson had suffered a good deal, and it made him feel a brute. 
but she had probably got over the suffering by now, at all events, the worst of it. It suggested itself to him that women were often very emphatic in their expressions. These did not mean so much as when men used them. He had quite made up his mind that nothing would induce him ever to see her again. He had not written for so long that it seemed hardly worthwhile to write now. He made up his mind not to read the letter. I dare say she won't write again, he said to himself. She can't help seeing the things over. After all, she was old enough to be my mother. She ought to have known better. For an hour or two he felt a little uncomfortable. His attitude was obviously the right one, but he could not help a feeling of dissatisfaction with the whole business. Miss Wilkinson, however, did not write again, nor did she, as he absurdly feared, suddenly appear in Paris to make him ridiculous before his friends. In a little while, he clean forgot her. Meanwhile, he definitely forsook his old gods. The amazement with which at first he had looked upon the works of the Impressionists changed to admiration, and presently he found himself talking as emphatically as the rest of the merits of Manet, Monet, and Degas. He bought a photograph of a drawing by Ingress of the Odalisque and a photograph of the Olympia. They were pinned side by side over his washing stand so that he could contemplate their beauty while he shaved. He knew now quite positively that there had been no painting of landscape before Monet, and he felt a real thrill when he stood in front of the Rembrandt's disciples at Emmaus and Velasquez, lady with the flea-bitten nose. That was not her real name, but by that she was distinguished at Graviers to emphasise the picture's beauty, notwithstanding the somewhat revolting peculiarity of the sitter's appearance. With Ruskin, Byrne, Jones and Watts, he had put aside his bowler hat and the neat blue tie with white spots which he had worn on coming to Paris, and now disported himself in a soft, broad-rimmed hat, a flowing black cravat, and a cape of romantic cut. He walked along the boulevard du Montparnasse as though he had known it all his life, and by virtuous perseverance he had learnt to drink absinthe without distaste. He was letting his hair grow, and it was only because nature is unkind and has no regard for the immortal longings of youth that he did not attempt a beard. Alright, there we go. Another chapter down. Philip is becoming an insufferable art hipster. Have your say on the subreddit. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.